Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Financial Times. We value your feedback. Please go to ft.com slash listen and fill out a short survey for a chance to win a pair of Bose acoustic noise-cancelling headphones. The FT Another month of zero inflation, great for savers and shoppers, but what does it mean for mortgages? All the main parties want to raid pension tax relief to pay for other policies – We explain why and what to do about it. And with just a week left to register to vote, we look at the role of the electoral roll. Welcome to The Money Show, one of the FT's most popular podcasts. I'm Jonathan Ely and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form, with the help of my FT colleagues James Pickford and Lucy Warwick-Ching, plus a special guest, Alan Hyam of Fidelity Personal Investing. This week, the Office for National Statistics revealed that consumer price inflation in March was zero, the second consecutive month of no growth in prices. This is mainly down to the vicious price war among supermarkets, which is keeping the price of food down, and also the steep decline in the price of oil compared with last year, which is making petrol cheaper. Low inflation is, of course, good news for many people. The cost of living doesn't rise as fast, so workers have more money to spend on discretionary items like holidays or new cars. And in this era of low interest rates, those with savings are less likely to see their purchasing power eroded. And low inflation is generally good for fixed-income investments like bonds. However, it's not such good news for those on benefits where the annual increases are pegged to the rate of inflation. And what about the impact on homeowners? Well, James Pickford is here to discuss that. James, how does consumer price inflation, which doesn't even include uh, many housing-related costs, affect uh, mortgage lending? Well, um, inflation is often seen as a good, you know, good news for uh, mortgage borrowers because if the cost of goods um, and, uh, in fact, your wages are rising... Um, then the value of a fixed debt, which is what a mortgage is, will fall in proportion to this. You'll have more disposable income uh, to pay off the mortgage. Um, The mortgage repayments will take up less of that monthly disposable income. I mean, if you did add in rising house prices, this would reduce the proportion of the debt even more. This is the other argument. So the fixed sum you take out at the start of the mortgage would reduce as a proportion of the total 
value of the house. The value of your bit of the house, will, you, the bit you own, will go up as house prices rise, whereas the mortgage lender's debt stays the same fixed amount. And that can help you if you want to refinance a fixed-term mortgage after the period of the fix ends. And that's because the lower the debt as a proportion of the total value of the house, the better deals will be available to you. And of course, that doesn't quite work as well when you're on a lender's standard variable rate and inflation is, is high because the Bank of England will be much more likely to set higher base rates and lenders will then push up uh, your monthly repayments as a result. You've mentioned the impacts of, of rising house prices there, but there's a lot of evidence uh, lately that the sort of pace of uh, increase in house prices is slowing. So if house prices were to do as inflation has done and, and slow to zero, what would that do to the whole equation? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, house prices have risen enormously in some parts of the country over the past decade, particularly London and the southeast. Um, but in other places, they're only recently starting to catch up. And overall... Um, the annual rate of house price inflation fell to 7.2% in February, down from 8.4% in January. And that's the lowest rate for more than a year. That's according to figures from the Office for National Statistics. So if you're counting on house prices to reduce your debt, it's looking like it's not going to happen at the same rate now as it did. And it's certainly for Londoners and those in the southeast in recent years. Do mortgage lenders factor in inflation, either consumer price inflation or house price inflation, uh, when they are making lending decisions? Or is it something that they just uh, assume to be completely out of their control? They don't tend to factor it in directly. But of course, the Bank of England has a duty to keep inflation within certain limits. And it uses interest rates to do that. So bank base rates affect the swaps market, which is the market that lenders use to price their borrowing and to set the rates on fixed rate deals. And you know, the effect, therefore, of low inflation now means that in the short term, we expect these very low rates on mortgages to continue. And even, you know, we might see some lenders drop their rates even a little further. And if you're a borrower or a prospective borrower, is there much you can really do about uh, inflation? Is there any sort of logical response on the part of the homeowner or is it best just to sort of carry on being sensible and uh, let it pan out? Well, lower prices at the petrol pumps and on the supermarket shelves um, will make people feel more flush and in some cases more likely to pay down their mortgage, which is a logical thing to do because this will stand them in good stead when interest rates do eventually start to climb back up. And the other thing is we seem to be in a, a sweet spot at the moment where wages are starting to rise, but inflation is low. So it might be something to think about paying off a bit more of your mortgage now. Thanks very much, James. Still to come on the show, you've got just a few days left to get your name on the electoral roll in time for the general election. But what will it be used for once it's there? First, though, let's take a look at the campaign itself. All the main parties' manifestos were published amid much razzmatazz this week. Among other things, the Conservatives have promised an inheritance tax break and more free childcare. Labour wants to cut tuition fees for students. What do these policies have in common? The answer is that they'll both be funded, or part-funded, by a raid on the pensions of higher earners. Money pundits have long been predicting that tax relief on pensions would be fair game after the election because it is just so expensive. 
giving people tax relief on their pension contributions costs the Exchequer around £34 billion or so each year in foregone revenue, and much of the benefit of tax relief naturally flows to higher earners because they get relief at the higher rates. So, what are the parties proposing? Will it raise anything like the sums they have promised? And if you are a higher earner, or even just an average Joe paying into a pension, what should you do about it? I'm joined now by Alan Hyam, Director of Retirement at Fidelity Personal Investing. Alan, let's look at the Conservatives first. What are they proposing to do about pension tax relief for higher earners? Well, they're proposing to affect people with taxable pay of more than 150000 per annum. And normally, people are allowed to contribute up to £40,000 maximum and get full tax relief. The Conservatives are proposing to reduce that 40000 maximum down to £10,000. But it's not that straightforward. They're doing it in a tapered way. So for every £10,000 you earn over £150,000, they're going to reduce the maximum by £5,000. So... At 150000 you've still got 40000 but earners over 210000 can only contribute 10000 a year into a pension and get full tax relief. And what about Labour? What are they proposing? Well, Labour are similarly proposing to affect the pension contributions of people earning more than 150000 but they've got a more straightforward policy. They are going to only allow tax relief at the basic rate for the whole of the 40,000. So you would effectively, the best way to work this out is to tax your contribution at 45%, and then to gross it back up by multiplying by 25%. Okay, so if you are uh, lucky enough to be earning over 150,000, what's the sort of practical uh, impacts under under those two different scenarios? Well, a couple of quick examples. Someone earning, say, 170,000 a year and normally paying 30,000 into their pension, they'll actually be unaffected by the Conservative proposal, but will pay an extra 9,375 under the Labour one. Somebody earning a bit more, 250,000, paying, say, the maximum, 40,000. They will pay an extra 13,500 under the Conservative proposal and 12,500 under the Labour one. Now, Steve Webb, who is the Lib Dem pension minister in the outgoing coalition government, talked often about simplifying pension tax relief and just having one rate for everybody. So you do away with all this uh, sort of tax relief at marginal rates. Wouldn't that be a lot simpler? Uh, And is there any chance, do you think, um, of, of that being proposed. We're actually waiting for details of the Lib Dem manifesto at the moment. Yes, the manifesto is out later today and he's been at pains to say it's not an agreed party policy that he's advocated, but what he was suggesting was that for every £2 you put into a pension out of your net pay, uh, the government would top it back up by £1, so this uniform tax relief. Um, It doesn't save the Exchequer any money, so it doesn't give any money to spend on other projects, which may mean it doesn't make it into the policy. You'll note that the other parties are using the tax generated to spend on other promises for the electorate. It would be simpler... It will, though, affect people earning over 42000 It won't just affect the very highest earners. So people currently earning over 42000 a year will start to have their pension contributions taxed. Now, when governments change uh, rules like this, people often modify their uh, behaviour. And we've seen that already uh, over the course of the last parliament because the government changed the lifetime allowance uh, for pension contributions three times. Is there a danger this time around that these proposals won't raise anything like the sums that they've been postulated to rise because people will change their behaviour and do something different? Well, they can. Um, If people are put off totally 
paying into pensions, which is actually my main worry, that people just don't save into pensions and they're put off saving for retirement. Actually, they may raise more because people might end up paying the full income tax on it and not get any tax relief on their pension contributions. If, however, they're a little bit more tax savvy, they might take advantage of other tax incentivized saving programmes, venture capital trusts and the like, where you can get higher tax relief on your savings. And if the money is diverted to those in greater numbers, then they may not provide the sort of income that the uh, parties are forecasting. Finally, Alan, the, the man on the Clapham omnibus, uh, proverbially, will probably say, well, you know, I'm a million years away from earning £150,000, so this is really nothing to do with me and I don't have to worry about it. Is there a danger that this is a kind of thin end of the wedge when it comes to pension tax relief? Or do you think that governments will, uh, of any persuasion, will leave their fiddling to the top end? Well, I think in isolation, there's a marginal concern that this further undermines pensions in the eyes of the nation's bosses. And if your boss isn't concerned about pension and and, and the boss isn't concerned about it for his direct reports because they earn over 150000 then we might well find that workplace pension schemes are set at the bare minimum by legislation because the bosses don't see the value, so therefore they don't offer them to the staff. Secondly, though, I think the bigger problem is it's rowing back from an agreement that was made only in 2006 to have a very simple pension formula for tax, to keep it simple. And I think the continued tinkering with pension policy for short-term political gain is not an ideal position to encourage a nation to save for retirement. It doesn't bode well for a good pension policy for the future. Thanks very much, Alan. Our cover feature this week looks at all the parties' manifestos and the commitments they have made relating to personal finance, ranging from the Greens' proposed 60p higher rate of tax to the SNP's idea for a lower pension age for Scots. We'd love to know what you think too. You can email us on money at ft.com or you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website, which is ft.com forward slash money. On to our final item for today, which is also about the election. If you're not already registered to vote, you have just a few days left to get your name on the electoral roll. But this database is used for a lot more than just allowing people to vote. You'll find it's a lot harder, for instance, to get a loan or a mortgage if your name isn't on it. And it's extensively used by credit checking agencies. And, under some circumstances, details from the electoral roll can be sold to third parties and used for marketing and sales purposes, potentially leaving you open to a flood of junk mail. Lucy Warwick-Ching has been investigating the role of the roll. Lucy, first of all, who maintains the electoral roll? Whose job is that? Councils themselves. So each council sends out a, a letter asking people to check that their details are correct for the electoral roll and it's up to you to make sure that they're correct and fill it in and send it back. And who is allowed to access its details? Presumably not anyone can just ring up a council and say, well, I want to check whether this person lives at this address. Well, this is where it gets complicated. There's two electoral registers. So one of them is specifically held for kind of voting records and criminal investigations. But the distribution of this list is very limited. But then there's also an almost identical list for people's personal data. And the only way you can not be on this list is if you opt out. So actually, lots of people are on these this edited electoral register, which actually can be bought by anybody for as little as £20. So really, pretty much anyone can get hold of your personal details if, if they're on that list. And how do you make sure um, that you 
don't appear on the on the edited version of the electoral register and and potentially leave yourself open to sort of receiving sales pitches from people you don't know well it's it's up to you to opt out so um but this is not just a one-time opt-out you have to do this annually which i think can be very frustrating and also lots of people just don't know they have to opt out there's a poll by Mori that says 77% of people don't understand if you don't opt out then your details can be sold to you know pizza delivery places or estate agents there's a a list by a company called um, Big Brother Watch and their research looked into all the different councils whether they've sold information over the last five years and Westminster Council was the worst offender they sold people's personal data at least uh, 93 times in the last five years to people like estate agents and and local businesses which you know on the face of it doesn't sound that bad but actually if you're getting tons and tons of junk mail or phone calls from businesses that you don't really want to hear from then you know it can be an infringement. We often hear that the um, the electoral register is very important for credit checking agencies yeah people like sort of Equifax and Experian. If you're not on the um, edited version of the electoral register because you don't want to get lots of junk mail are you putting yourself at risk of, uh, of making it more difficult to get access to credit and mobile phones and so on and so forth? No because actually the um, credit agencies they use the electoral roll data they use this to verify customers' identity. Um, and if you are registered to vote, it will appear on this credit report as a good risk signal. So don't worry. If you don't want to be on this edited register, then you're not going to put yourself at risk of not being able to get that mobile phone contract or move home. Thanks very much, Lucy. And there's more on that story in this weekend's FT Money too. Plus, we take a look at company share registers, which are another rich source of personal details for marketeers and for scammers. Other highlights this week, David Stevenson looks at passive funds that invest in bonds and ways to make them safer. My column looks at emerging markets. We've seen street protests in Brazil, but a massive market boom in China. And if you think there's no money in publishing anymore, take a look at our interview with John Styra, who sold his igloo book chain to Dorling Kindersley for millions. And as usual, we've the latest buy and sell recommendations from our sister publication, Investors Chronicle, plus the latest dealing by directors in shares in their own companies. The Money Show will be back next week, but for now it's goodbye from me, James, Lucy and our special studio guest, Alan Hyam. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.